Welcome to Rush Hour with Rush and AGFX. Hello everyone, it's Wednesday the 15th of November. Uh, we are beasting it with these podcasts this week, so hopefully you're all keeping up. Uh, my name is Rush and I'm joined as always by the man with the voice, AGFX. How's it going, man? Hello, hello, hello. Yes, I said last time, fine as always. And <laughs> since then, uh, political shit happened. So I'm stressing out on all kinds of documents that I have to make uh, to like do scoping documents and you know, so when is when is stuff going to be delivered? So, yeah, fun time. This on your this on your Angry Birds game. <laughs> yeah, the Angry Birds game indeed. <laughs> well, it's uh, unfortunate to hear, but you know, I think I think he, you're you're the kind of guy that seems like he'd be cool under pressure. Um, yes and no. Um, I'm very empathetic. I have um, had like oh. It's already a long time ago now, since 2000. Now, by now, it's 12, 13 years ago that I had a burnout for a full year. Um, right. And that did teach me a lot of things about resilience and how to uh, how to deal with stress. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I'm in sort of everything I've learned is sort of the things I'm, uh, I'm using right now, all those techniques. Uh, so it's never easy. I'm always very sensitive to, I'm empathetic to things like, you know, this party oh they want that and i want to help them and but they want the complete obvious but i the opposite but i want to help them as well so yeah but uh, indeed um um i think i'm not naturally somebody who stays quite under pressure because i i I just feel too much but yeah i mean by the time you're 52 years old you learn a thing or two right so right and uh, it's good to have all these uh de-stress outlets like uh, open dominion Oh yeah, yeah. There's no stress there whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, our, our podcast guest this episode uh, needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway. He's the developer of OD. He's the reason we all get to play and enjoy this wonderful and niche game. He's one half internet. He's one half fet. It's internet fet. Welcome Ooh. to the podcast, man. Thank you. So, on our last episode, which hopefully everybody's managed to listen to by now, towards the tail end of that, uh, we all went over the Open Dominion community survey that is currently open. Um, Now, my understanding is, according to the fact that we've received quite a great deal of feedback on that, uh, and we're going to go over some of the results and possibly what that means for the future of OD's development. Is that right, Fett? That's right. Yeah, listening to you guys talk about it, um, I noticed, you know, there's like a little bit of confusion here and there or, you know, just kind of speculating like what the information is going to be used for. I thought I could speak to those things. Uh, Well, I spend my life permanently confused, so feel free to clarify on any of the points that we got wrong. Sure, so um, I wanted to start off by bringing up something that was on a previous survey. So you guys can't see this, but um, I mean, it was a long time ago at this point, like over a year, uh, we had a survey where we asked everyone what their preferred play style was. And we had fast attack, slow attack, converter and explorer. And it was like really close to like a perfect, like uh, quarters, right? Like 25% for each. But it looked like the the slow attacking quadrant was kind of gobbling up some of the fast attacker. Um, and so we asked, why do you like your play style or why not? 
And then there was a question where we asked specifically, like, have you ever taken a break from the game or quit playing the game because of one of these choices? And one of them was, like, the amount of time that it takes to be competitive, like the activity level. And that one was, like, far and away ahead as, like, the the main culprit. Why people who maybe prefer to play fast or just attack generally um, maybe aren't able to. And so we talked a lot about this idea that we might have to implement some sort of system of automating your dominion, like letting you get some sleep and performing some some actions uh, that would keep you competitive. And so that actually was like a big thing on the new survey, uh, on the write-in questions. A lot of people were bringing that up again. And I didn't actually have a choice under development. Like, do you, what do you want to see develop next? I didn't have a automated action uh, field because uh, that's already been developed. So I haven't mentioned anything about it, but there is a early version of it on the test server. And so I guess it's kind of a, an announcement you get to make to the big reveal Ooh. on the podcast. Wow. Nice. So we all actually, we're, we're going to be able to sleep again, is what you're saying. Yeah, and so you guys were talking about that with the uh, worst on the last episode. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that it, that it came up. But yeah, well... There's obviously going to be a lot of uh, pushback on like what you can do and how much uh, you should be able to do that's automated. So we'll we'll probably start small and kind of ease into it. But uh, right now I have it, like I said, running on the test server where you can train troops and you can cast spells that aren't Aries call automatically. All right. So, I mean, just spitballing here, but like a good number of actions to be able to do through the night seems I think we talked about it on the last one, it seemed to be about three. I think seems to be the general consensus. Like if you can train troops or cast spells three times in the night, that would be probably my ideal. Is that what you've set it up for? Or are you gonna start at one and then increase it? What's the plan? I set it up as two actions. And when I say action I mean just literally like one thing and not mm-hmm like our concept of a login, right? It's not like one hour. You can do as many things as you want for that hour. It's just one individual action at a time. And so, uh, yeah, I just said it's two. So maybe three is better. Who knows? Maybe we go higher. But uh, one of the things that was suggested on this survey, um, somebody said when they, when they were talking about, Hey, we need, we need some way to do automated actions. They mentioned like, setting X amount for the round and then letting you use it as needed. So say you're like gone for a whole weekend and you wanted to like spend a bunch of them over that time period rather than spacing it out every day. Um, that was kind of interesting and something that I hadn't really thought about. You can have like 150 actions or 100 actions per round and use them as you see fit. Yeah, more or less. But um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. That's definitely a, a, 
a good idea. And maybe it doesn't work exactly like that. Like maybe you can one time out of the round or something, you can get more actions in the day than the, the usual or whatever, something like that. I and say that you wanted to log say you wanted to log in at four AM and train the maximum number of uh troops that you can for that hour, say DP units. Will the system know how many that is? Do you have to specify? How does that work? So no, you don't have to be exact. So you type in a number and then it will train up to that number or the maximum that you can afford. So that way cool. if somebody robs you at it. So th this runs exactly in the middle of the hour along with the bot AI. So you could have people like trying to steal from you at that exact moment to try to screw up your action. But um, no, it'll it'll just do what you can afford. Well, uh, I'm excited to see this new system. Uh, I'm very much in favor of letting people sleep. So thank you very much for implementing it. It's, uh, it's a nice surprise to have. Yeah, nice. It's a... Uh... It's also a nice uh, scoop to have, right? <laughs> so very cool. Yeah, the first report on it. Yeah, it's it's super. I mean, it's it's uh, and the, the fun and even <clears throat> like maybe that's um, how do you say it? Uh, sort of you being the the the, the gentle giant who behind the game, uh, sort of the casual way that you <laughs> that you announce it, like oh by the way, I already implemented the thing. It's like what? This is the big news, man. <laughs> Yeah, trying to get away from the, uh, the curse of Ross, where he announces things in advance and never completes them. Is that the is that the strategy here? You just do, you just announce it after it's done. Yes. Yeah. No. I've learned. You, I don't. I don't like promising things that I can't uh, deliver on. So just don't do it. Very wise. Very wise. All right. So shall we go through the the survey results and see what the see what the people are clamoring for? Yeah, with that out of the way, um, we can just go through. So I have it pulled up here for us to look at. Um, we had what we have. We have sixty nine responses so far, which is pretty much the most um, engagement that we've had on any of our surveys. I'm pretty sure this will be the the most. So that's pretty nice to see people filling it out. Um, the first question on here was about the time of day for OOP. So to give some history, uh, when the project was first created, it was always at UTC midnight. Uh, the game had no concept of like being able to have it at a different time. It's just like at day change on the server clock. And then I think, I think it was like Kinshiro was one of the players who was really like promoting this idea of like having a, a more euro friendly time zone start and so that's how we ended up with the alternating times between midnight and then the minus six and so you know it's been what it's been like three years or something and we never really did any kind of check to see like do these times actually work well for people? And so I thought, why not uh, just take a look at it and see if we can use real data to like discover a better time, potentially. So the idea would be to continue to rotate times 
Um, and I was kind of surprised that the 1800 hour that we already used for one of them was the most popular already. So that's pretty interesting. I think that means that one stays. And then um, you can't really just look at the second most popular one to get a good idea of what to use. So we'll have to go through the the spreadsheet here and like clear out everybody who likes that time and then see like what's left over, like what's popular amongst people who can't use that time. Yeah, because for those who we, we could actually see the, the, the curve in front of us, it's really a bit of a bell curve, which has its uh, top at the uh, 1800 UTC um, if you go earlier, it goes all the way down to the the, the least favorite. Definitely is four four uh, four hour UTC, and then there's it goes back up again with an interesting spike at zero 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 UTC. So that's an interesting spike because it's it sort of stands on its own, right, compared to the other spike. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if maybe um, people voted for it because we already used it, but it is it, that is like a comfortable. European time, like the evening. Um, But I mean, people have talked about like rotating all throughout the day, like, you know, minus four hours every round or something. But uh, I mean, that's super confusing. And obviously, if you look at this, if we end up at four, that's going to be not popular with anybody. In classic, there had there was this concept of waves where you, you would come out within a six hour span and you had different resources depending on which time you came out at but like obviously people figured out which one was the best and then like everyone ended up going wave six basically um and this is much more complicated now with like box if you if you were to if we were to do something like that with waves whoever comes out last like there'd have to be like fresh box waiting for them and it's just like way more trouble than it's worth. So I think uh, the simple rotation is like the probably the best we're going to yeah. be able to do right now. With the the ability to um, combine with the feature we just uh, discussed, the, the sort of being able to plan ahead, would it also mitigate this a bit so that you could say, hey, at game start, I'll be sleeping so I can just already plan some of my growth or whatever? Yeah, definitely. Like the big, uh, the most important hour i think for fast attackers is like the three hours after you make your hit you need specs you train specs to have them come in for when your troops get home and a lot of people will maybe like stay up late enough to make their hit and then you just kind of have to hope you wake up to train those troops so i think the automated action would definitely help people who want to attack but normally are like uncomfortable doing it yeah yeah so yeah probably that i think it sounds like you know just having sort of a a general overall favorite time plus the combined with being able to plan it would probably be a very good solution so what was the most popular day of the week Uh, it looks like the typical start later in into the weekend so it's kind of confusing because it's like saturday in the western hemisphere and sunday in the east um 
and then it's you know the idea was can we back it up today uh, that would put it like middle of the day or evening uh, on friday in the in the west um but i've heard from like people in the pacific or like australia that that would be great because the round starts like on sunday for them normally so it's like part of the weekend is already over but yeah we it's like seven it's close to like 75 percent to keep it on the saturday sunday and not move it back a day um but that doesn't mean we can't do it occasionally yeah, especially if this is uh, divided across uh, the geographics, right? If it's, it's that 25%, if that's basically, or 30% almost, if that's basically all the people in Australia, I mean, probably would be a good idea to give the Aussies uh, their chance at their day at sometimes. All right. Well, we, we talked a lot about um, resets in the last podcast, and it seems to be an idea that is fairly popular with the people discussing it in Discord, at least. Uh, is that reflected in the data? Yeah, we have a pretty good majority that said they would like to see rule sets at 70%. Um, I also added rule sets to the question about where should we spend development effort because this is actually not an easy thing to do. So if we're making like sweeping changes to buildings and units and stuff like that, we really ought to be able to like switch back and forth and so have like both of the rule sets basically living in the database so that especially if you go and look at past rounds you're not seeing like the wrong stats and things like that yeah uh, and having like the ability to have like scribes in, in the scribes like see the rules for each rule set um that's a lot of work because the game's not built around that right now we could just change everything then it would be be no way to like go back and look at what the base rule set mm. looked like. So, um, for, then, for just uh, for for noobs like me, what exactly uh, do rules? What what is it actually? Because I I I think I know what it is, but I'm I'm not entirely sure. Right. So in classic, it just alternated every round. It was like base imp base tech base imp basically like that and the the biggest difference is like the, all the unit costs are a little different they're, they're more expensive in the imp set um the way that you gained tech points and uh imp points was a little different like in the imp set your gems are actually worth more imp points it's like 15 instead of 12 or something like that and um in a bunch of buildings like the factories were different so you had to have a different sim because all the early part of the sim that depends on factories so much was different uh griffin nests are different um what else i don't know it's like it wasn't really too crazy for the imp set but then in the tech rule set they had units that like would gain an entire point of op based on if you unlocked a certain tech or not so that one was like a little more crazy but the idea i think that we're talking about for open dominion is more of like the imp style where it's pretty minor changes overall but it's enough to kind of spice things up yeah so not sort of changing a whole uh maybe you said mechanics or rules but 
tweaking the numbers mostly, if I understand. Yep. Yeah. yeah so, like, in the tech rule set back in the day, they had, like, I think cavalry got plus one offense if you had magical weaponry tech or something like, along those lines. Uh, like, Firewalker got more offense on the salamander based on the forest percentage of your target. So, like, something that was a little bit complicated. The, the horses had some sort of magical gun strapped to their head, did they? Is that where they got that extra alt point from? Yeah, maybe it wasn't cavalry. I don't remember, but I know Undead also had it. Maybe Undead was the one that was tied to magical weaponry. Oh. And of course, here on... Vampire, vampires here. have magic... <laughs> Here in rush hour, of course, uh, one of the rule sets we'd like to see is just to completely nerf attacking, and you can only blob. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you say that because um, this question had another field to it, um, and I actually suggested that we should have mixed into the the base rule set, the imp and the tech rule sets, a, a, a third, sorry, a fourth option, where we just do something crazy. You know, you you just change a few of, uh, like like what Fett did for schools in the test round, where schools had all sorts of wacky attributes for building them. Um, because I still think I think if people are in, wanting to introduce rule sets, that's coming from feeling that every round is starting to feel a bit the same, and they want to spice things up a little bit. Yeah. Um, by rotating the rules, but I think after you've done that a few times, you're still looking at you know, the same sort of stale feeling after a while, after you've done imp a few times, after you've done tech a few times. So I just wanted a random one in there that maybe the GPC could come up with some interesting ideas or, or the community could vote on some cool uh, modifications to the round. And I was calling it the quirk set. So if you wanted to throw in something like that, it might help. It might help keep it interesting between <laughs> all four of those things. But... Who knows whether or not that's a good idea. It was just sort of off-the-cuff suggestion. Fed, yeah. did you get any any other submissions for that field that were uh, maybe worth looking into? No, looking through <laughs> the spreadsheet, those other options that you can't really see very well are mostly like, don't care. Um, <laughs> or don't, someone, don't know. Oh, right. So someone that people have been using it as an I don't know button, I guess. Yeah, well... Uh, every field on the on here is optional, but this is like one of the first questions, so you know, probably didn't realize there was a, the ability to just not answer it. Right. So you said the, the biggest challenge you've got is the workload for implementing real sets, and that's yeah, why is so... that because the game doesn't really let you make modifications to three different things at once without causing a bunch of issues. Just one copy of everything, right? Like when it yeah. comes to the configuration for like what a unit looks like and what it does, it's it just lives in one place. So there there would be no way to toggle it back and forth depending on what what round you're in. So yeah. there's a lot of it's it's like annoying busy work to develop it. It's like I I just want it to be clear that it's going to take time away from developing something else if we do this, and if it if it's going to be something minor, like the unit costs and the buildings only, maybe that's a little bit too boring to spend the time on it when we could be working on something else. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Because this is, because, uh, you know, also doing software development um, 
for Russia. The sort of building in variability is something you have to sort of implement at every level. And it's not so much like having a single number, but everywhere it's used, you have to build in the either this or that kind of a thing, right? And it could be in a very yeah. smart way, in a very hacky way, but doing that well means you, you're you going through your whole code base and having to implement that. And that that's, yeah, that's a lot of busy work. I get that. Yeah, my, my gut feeling, if that's going to take rounds and rounds and rounds to program, then maybe something else should take priority. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah. that's just me. That's just my opinion. Okay, um, then we had questions on um, realm sizes and pack sizes. So what are the communities saying there? Yeah, I threw this one in um, knowing that it would be kind of a mess of answers, um, but it's it's pretty split right like once you look at all of the the write-ins and kind of put them more or less into a yes or no bucket um kind of it's almost like 50 50 bigger or or smaller slash happy with how it is um i don't think that's surprising at all um it's a hot button issue I think the consensus is that bigger is great if everything else is ironed out perfectly, but uh, that's close to impossible to do. People like being able to have two packs in the same room, and yeah. it, it definitely helps like newer players. Packs of newer players land with more experienced players, where they can learn a lot more than if they land kind of by themselves. Yeah. Um, but piece of people also don't want there to be too few realms or like too many blockers in one realm, and it's very hard to predict how the realms turn out because if everything's kind of based on um, packs landing together, like it has been for a long time, then the variability in the number of packed players versus the number of solo players and what the makeup of each pack is really like it makes the the actual number of people in each realm like wild wildly varied from round to round and we can't control it so anytime people say like oh let's just do 12, 12 people in a realm uh, that's extremely difficult to do because if we actually enforced 12 people to a realm you might have some realms where there's two packs and lots of active people and then you and then a, a realm where there's just the one pack but no other active players which i mean that that kind of happens anyway but um yeah it's just we had that for a long time and people thought it was unfair that there were like packs that landed together regularly and then realms where you didn't get anybody except randoms so now the matchmaking is more based on the number of packed players in each realm. Which right now is like eight or whatever. Like a five pack can land with a three pack, but they can't land with another five pack. And what about your, um, I guess, social scoring of players? Is that coming to effect yet? Yeah. So uh, the matchmaking works kind of like a, a basketball bracket or something where like the highest rated pack is paired with like the lowest rated pack um there's a little bit of a random factor in there and then once the 
the pack makeup for each realm is kind of assigned and it kind of rebuilds a new bracket and assigns solo players in the same way. So like the better rated solo players end up in the low average pack sometimes. Um, there's also like, there's a lot that goes into it because there's also uh, like pseudo packs, right? So if there's if there's more five packs than three packs and you, you need, you kind of really could use some more three packs, it'll generate like a fake pack out of the best solo players that are available and pair them up with somebody so it's really kind of unpredictable and we saw that at the beginning of this round where we had to restart uh rerun it because we made some changes and something went haywire uh and a couple of like highly rated packs landed together when i first ran it this round so we we kind of had to have a do-over um, and the question I was really getting towards was, um, you know, the, the thumbs up and thumbs down uh, feature towards the end of the round. All right, yeah, I forgot where I was going with all that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your matchmaking rating as an individual is affected by that thumbs up and down. So if you if you have if you have a significant number of thumbs downs, um, it kind of tanks your rating. So you're you're the, the average rating of the other people in your realm is going to go up you're bringing them down. And then it does the same thing for people who have never attached a Discord account. Mm. So if you're not in Discord, you'll get another big negative score. Um, I think the first round that it came into play was last round, and it had a weird... kind of It kind of did something we didn't expect, where... Uh, it pulled down your rating so far that um, I don't know. You kind of ended up with you sort of ended up with more like average players for whatever reason, rather than like some high and some low. Like it, it, it kind of made it where if there were some crummy, poorly rated people in the realm, that yeah, the the average player in that realm was closer to like the median. And yeah, we try, try to fix some of that, but it's hard. So the, like the, the, in the, mentioned the in the last pod, like matchmaking is really hard. Yeah. Um, well, I guess the question I've got is um, if a player has a negative rating from either not attaching a, a Discord to their account or, you know, just being rated as poor by their realmies for whatever reason, does that mean they're more likely to land with a high-rated player, or are they more likely to land with other players with similarly low ratings? So it happens currently. It happens after the realms are kind of formed, and then those low players get added. So it doesn't mean anything about like the like, individuals that they land with. It has to do with the realm rating. So the, the lowest of the low random players are going to land with the above average realms. But just because you're an above average realm doesn't mean that you have like pro players in that realm. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a total. Um, but no, we're not putting them together, right? So when it gets to that point of the matchmaking process, it tries to spread out those really low players evenly across the realms. That was a problem that people would complain about. Like you get three or four of those guys in your realm just from bad luck, people that don't communicate, people that 
don't post in council, don't join Discord. If you got really unlucky and several of them landed in your realm, you're kind of screwed. So we tried to spread them out to where there's like one in each realm. Right. That sounds like a good system. Yeah. And I also think that uh, the, so that essentially, basically realm size is not really the question. It's sort of, uh, I say it, it's a standing for something else, right? I think people want, in, like you said, like they want engagements, they yeah. want, uh, and, and realm size happens to be one of the tweaks we try to get it, but the realm size itself is never seen as specifically a thing. It's, you know, am I right. part of something competitive? Will there be dialogue? So that would be the real question. Yeah, like realm size itself isn't a knob that we can actually turn. You can only turn like how many people are in a pack, how many packs are allowed in a realm and what, what size is. Yeah. What's the, the popular size? Do people want to try larger packs? Do they want no packs with restrictions? Um, the, It's like at around 50% that just said, no, we should stick with five. Um, and then what's left over is also split between six or six with restrictions. And then a bunch of these ones that were write-ins were saying like, um, yeah, like six with restrictions, not more than six with restrictions, but just six with restrictions were a lot of the write-ins. And then, you know, some people said, let's do three packs or, you know, more than six with no restrictions or whatever, just different kind of combinations and things. But this one's pretty split as well. Um, so when, when you're getting split feedback like this, what do you decide to do with it? Do you think, should we try and do both? Should we mix it up round per round? Or do you lean towards maintaining the status quo? I mean, yeah, it's a lot easier to not make a change than it is to make a change. So if, yeah, if something's all over the place like this, then the default would be to just not do anything. Um, but you, you also have to kind of take this survey with a grain of salt because the type of player who's filling it out is not necessarily representative of the average player, right? Like the people who aren't filling it out might be heavily skewed toward one way or the other, and we just don't know exactly. So yeah, typically we're looking for like an overwhelming percentage to necessitate a change yeah indeed this indeed this is at the at the maximum it's split like 50 50 or so and then um and then of course the, the reasons why people say you know more why would that be probably aligned to maybe people feeling like oh yeah the, the things i answered with the larger pack like or larger realms probably a similar why people might want to try it but at least for me if i remember how i answered it in the back of my mind not knowing that much about the whole game or, or, or the history is a six pack would allow the chance that you as a pack land with something or with a group of people that are nice to work with is higher simply because you can choose more people i mean it was as simple as that right so that may be entirely wrong but that was my reasoning at least so if we if the, we got something like I think you said sixty nine or seventy people filled in the survey, um, do you know what the player base is sitting at at the moment? Uh, that's really hard to tell. Um, we typically have around like one forty at start, one one forty, one fifty maybe. Um, 
but you know there's way more than that that play intermittently like our um our email blast goes out to like 2000 example of people who have played so we are talking like a, a substantial pool of people that we we have not heard from them yeah exactly but 70 is still a pretty good result for the for sort of active round by round because only the people who are playing this round will have seen that survey right yeah unless for some reason they look at the website without registering <laughs> Yeah, it seems like a long shot. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I see that the next topic is what is the Sorry, just, just before we move yeah, on. Yeah. Just before we move on, one of the cool things I did like about the the pack size question was the opportunity to use good and evil for something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I've I've been sitting on that one for a while, but I, I would really like to see either that alignment have a function or it just come out entirely it's just sort of sitting there uh not doing anything at the moment so i did i did like that as a potential suggestion and it's it'd be a shame if we're not able to do something with it at some point maybe it's something we could do for the draft round you know maybe introduce a new rule uh that that mixes things up a little bit on that front beginning just uh just spitballing ideas here yeah i agree i'd love to see it used somewhere but like outside of like a pack restriction, I don't, I don't know what we could do other than that. It's like our only shot at it. Yeah, a good versus evil rule set, I guess. Good versus evil draft. Yeah, yeah, you're only allowed to be you're only allowed to be able to be good or evil in your in your full realm, and then maybe do some extra scoring system on did the good realms do better than the evil realms, something like that. Yeah. Well, evil always did better was the thing. So the game actually <laughs> supports that. Um realms have a good or evil switch we just don't use it anymore um but it wouldn't be too difficult to get that working again i think realm assignment is the only thing that throws a wrench in it because all the matchmaking stuff is completely um like ignorant of good and evil yeah in the end it's 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 basically lore right i mean it's it's, that's it's currently its primary function um, I think in classic it did have a function, because uh, or at least it might even have just have been a purely lower function. But I remember back in the early days of open of, of classic Dominion, um, depending on whether or not you'd selected good or evil as your race type, uh, you would have access to different. The, the, the previous game had a storyline in some of the rounds. Uh, and there'd be a good storyline and there'd be an evil storyline and you would see one half of that storyline developing through the game depending on what kind of race you'd selected um, and the storylines back then they had uh, for better or for worse and I think a lot of players complained some of it was for worse had an impact on the gameplay so for example there was one round where there was a, a giant flaming meteor hurtling towards the, the, the all of the realms uh, and it eventually hit and caused uh, food issues. So every every week you'd have a, a debuff against your dominion that would add an additional 10% less food, uh, which made loads of people starve, even though they knew it was coming. Uh, so there was massive outrage over that. Uh, but I always thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. it, it definitely made things interesting, but I can see why other players didn't like it. 
That sounds and great. You only got to you only got to learn uh, if you were playing evil. You, you learned oh they I'm making this up because I don't remember the storyline, but you'd learn something like oh they had a hand in calling down the asteroid that hit the planet. Um, if you read the good storyline, you were reading about the good guys trying to prevent it from happening and failing. You know, so everything's interesting. Cool. I'll let you guys go nuts on this one. Ah, uh, yeah. So, next question. What do you feel the primary purpose of Black Ops should be? Yeah. And I think that's also one we discussed uh, in the last pod, right, uh, Rush? And I think our answers are pretty much... Because uh, I think you, you had as the primary one to, to slow a runaway and take out threats. Was that yours? or? Yeah, those were my two selections. Yeah. And I had take out threats and create an avenue for teamwork. And if you look at the stats, indeed. So there's a, a good chunk. 60% taking, saying, take out threats. Half of them say slow runaway. And another like big chunk, almost half, also say teamwork. So I think based on the responses um, that all the other responders are pretty close to sort of what what you and me combined what we uh, what we answered and i also like the fact that we predicted um that chrono would probably select something like take somebody completely out of the game and i can see that one person has selected that as a rule <laughs> i don't think it was him though I don't think it was either. I spoke to him after the podcast and he said he was tempted, but he didn't pick it. So there, there's potentially someone even more chaotic than Chrono out there who he just wants to see people suffer. That is, that's the, yeah, that's so the Chrono. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah think... the idea behind this question was kind of like um, to get a feel for what, like, what direction we should go because there's a lot of stuff up in the air about blops every round but this round especially um and if there were some things on on this question that were really low then maybe we could look at like moving that aspect of the game somewhere else like away from blocks uh yeah you know, for example if nobody voted for teamwork then we could talk about doing teamwork things I mean, I guess that's it's true if it's popular too, right? Like if people say teamwork is why I like blobs, well then maybe we should introduce some more options for teamwork elsewhere and um, not necessarily use that as our guiding light for how the Black Ops uh, system should work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, and then maybe the only thing would be that what you invest in probably determines if you if you're uh, sort of if the teamwork investments are similar to a blob investments which would mean that a blopper can also do teamwork that's probably where that difference lies or if you if you want to do teamwork and you fully have to invest in a completely different set of things then that would make it a very distinct style and i'll come back to the teamwork thing at the end too yeah uh sizable chunk of people uh sorry go on for Oh uh, yeah, I was just saying this is just kind of like general sentiment to help maybe kind of guide us. Like, I, there's not any like specific thing that we were looking for out of this one. See, uh, a sizable chunk of people have uh, selected uh, getting revenge on Dominions <laughs> as uh, one of their top functions of Black Ops. Yeah, which is interesting because I always felt I, I do like the fact that you can sort of sting back at 
dominions that have uh, invaded you and taken some acres by being able to fireball them or whatever you want to do. Uh, I do like that, but I think the damage that you actually deal to them is pretty trivial. Uh, it's one black opera, you know, uh, assuming they're fully ready to, to fire 15 fireballs at someone. You know, it's not it's not a huge amount of damage, especially if they've got any mitigation whatsoever. Um, that doesn't mean so, that you can't bring your whole realm down on them out of uh, grudge. True, uh, but you have to go to war for that one. Right. Yeah, I was surprised yeah. to see that one get that many votes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can't just have explorers unable to, you know, do anything about <laughs> what goes on in the game. They got to have some means to participate in war, in a war game. Yeah, indeed. Funny thing is, is whenever I'm in a realm where an attacker invades someone like that and then they get, you know, 10, 15 fireballs thrown at them. The reaction from the attacker is usually um, some somewhere along the lines of surprise that the player is that butthurt that they've been invaded. <laughs> they fire back all those fireballs, and I'm like, yeah, well, you just took quite a bit of land off them, so you know they probably are quite annoyed. They always seem uh, they always seem surprised that the player is put out by the fact that they've taken their land. Well. But the other thing is that this is the only time outside of war you can actually fireball somebody. I don't, for that reason, I don't mind being hit as much because it's like, woo, fireball. Yeah. I, I don't quite have that same appeal for it. I, I, I would rather not have to fireball someone if it meant losing my acres to do it. So. No, but I think to, to me, it's a, it's a nice bonus of getting hit. And I never not get hit. So, you know, there's, it's, a, it's a nice bonus. It's a perk to, <laughs> how do you say it? It's a bit of good with the bad, like, oh, I, I lost some land, but I get to fireball somebody. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, yeah. uh, uh, it's a small bonus to something uh, something that's uh, not so nice. All right, so moving on to the next question. Um, it, it was, uh, if the current tech system were to be changed, what would you like to see? Uh, yeah, so um, the most popular thing by far is what at 57% right now is the option where we said create meaningful choices that have like a significant impact on how you play. So that wasn't even on here at first. I actually showed it to Rush before the survey went out and we kind of crafted that one. Uh, I'm not completely surprised that it's popular, but I don't think I expected it to stick out as much as it did. But um yeah, the the idea there would be basically making taking certain tags kind of prevent you from taking other tags. So when you go down a certain path, it, you're you're committed to that and you're giving something up, right? Because right now in the tech system, you can just get all the tags if you want. Like who cares, right? You can spider around the whole tree and just grab anything and everything you want so uh in some way you have choices to make in which way you go but it's not as meaningful as if you're completely locked out of something and then the other kind of other half of that option is that it makes a big impact on how you play so you know text that might be good for very niche roles yeah, I think when we discussed it in the last pod, I 
I made the remark that if it just reinforces being a blopper, attacker, converter, whatever, explorer, um, that might but not be as meaningful as sort of having subtypes within it. I have no idea how that would work, but what would your thoughts be on that? Would you, if you say meaningful choices, uh, would it be along the lines of reinforcing, attacking, reinforcing, exploring, or would it be something else? Yeah, I think the easiest example is just the the thing that Rush has been working on, where there's like a tree that would more or less cater toward attackers who are deconverting. This is a common thing. You play fast attacker, you try to get ahead, you don't succeed, and then you have to become an ops bitch for your realm. And if you're playing lizard folk or something like that like you're a really shitty exploring race so to have like text that supercharge your exploring or uh, ops taking abilities based on an attacking stat like your prestige or your number of successful attacks or something like that is really interesting because you can make it less miserable for a deconverter to keep playing and to be useful to their realm and and not abandon right without necessarily overpowering everyone because you have to first attack and fail to use these abilities it's not available to everyone yeah Yeah, that makes sense um there are a couple interesting things buried in the write-ins here one of them said um, to kind of decouple the tech tree from imps though they're saying like there's a lot of duplication like anything in the tech tree that imps already do take that out and make the tech tree focus more specifically on like unique perks which I thought was interesting. Yeah, that actually makes sense, yeah, because otherwise it's good to have these things be distinct. And so, yeah, so it, it gives meaningful choices again. Yeah, makes. I, it's, I think it's a good uh, good, good uh, remark. Yeah, the well, only one problem, of the... though, is that there, there are so few things in this game that you can actually, like, modify. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to That's... come up with enough content for the tech tree. That's what I was going to say, because uh, in the discussions I've had with some of the folk on the tech committee, particularly Loki, uh, we've been looking at trying to add unique options to tech. Like for the, the best example is something like Trick of the Light, uh, which is a quality of life improvement that you know extends the protection of fool's gold to other resources like like uh, lumber, like mana, uh, not gems, but you know, maybe it could in a future one. That's a quality of life improvement that is still a desirable tech. That's a tech I usually try to pick up every round because it just, you know, it helps me get to sleep through the night knowing that some little thief isn't going to nick all my mana. Um, but that is that is a, a non-impactful tech at the same time. Like, it's not something like Avatar of Ares where you're getting 5% bonus to your, your op or whatever the bonus is, 7.5, something like that. Um... And coming up with those sort of unique techs that aren't overpowered but still give you utility or quality of life is really difficult. Like, try and do it. Try and come up with three or four. Um, 
I, I can only think of maybe like one off the top of my head, you know? Um, so I'm not really sure what we can do going in that direction. No. This is one of the problems that we've run into time and time again on the committee is like inventing new things that players want without disrupting uh, yeah. the balance. Yeah. It's hard. Having built my sort of the, the tool I've built, uh, one of the things I use are the YAML files that the, the define all the races. And I sort of, I, di I directly download them and I've, I've used them in my own code. So essentially making sure I'm, I'm reading from the same source. What I noticed there, there is a reasonably flexible system for perks you can attach to a race. So just if I'm looking at implementability, um, having uh, text that then attach an extra bonus kind of a thing uh, like you have all these advantages for races to a race um, those might actually be relatively easy to attach so if you think of something that gives some kind of bonus in that sense you can just say oh now yeah. the warriors of this race now also have this advantage and then you can attach them yeah so racial threes is something that I really want to implement into the game, but it's kind of like the next wave of work after we sort out the blocks, the military, and the economic trees. Those are the three primary ones that we want to get right because they're going to be available to everybody pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then one, if we if we feel like we've gotten those right and they're working well in the game, we can look at adding racial trees because you know there's quite a few races in this game. Uh, that's going to be quite a lot of work. Uh, we don't want to. We don't yeah. want to overburden ourselves early. I'm. I'm just gonna say that I. I don't think I would start with racial. Like uh, Sharky had some of that in his one of his hero proposals, and you know it was like twenty pages in the spreadsheet, and he's got like pretty good ideas for like three, right? Like it's just yeah. so many races, uh, and I think that's where uh, maybe we could leverage good and evil you have good and evil tech tree instead so that's only two different things you have to think about rather than 20 uh or yeah. you could go a step further and do like a homeland based uh tree or something like that right where uh what there's seven different land types so that's still a lot less than 20 so all the forest races yeah. can get this access to these things um but yeah, yeah starting with like the 20 is like the goal i think is frightening it is frightening, uh, but it is still it's still like the ideal in my mind. I would love to be able to offer a tech tree for each race. I understand it's a lot of work, though. Maybe even if there was only like I know there's a, an option here for yeah. super techs. But my, my maybe point if there was is, just one super tech per race. My point is the fact um, if you're looking at the the perks, the race perks are actually highly configurable. So. Uh, you, something like you know having a, a bonus to gem production or a, a, a minus to gem production. So I don't know how easy that would be, but you can. The tech could actually be something that is not attached to your race. It just does, it does get attached to your units to, or to a unit type, but it's specific because you got the tech, not because you have a race. And so let's say you know there's a there's a perk called helmets, and now you have a bonus to your defense. Um, and then when Both you have helmets. the tech. Helmets, yeah, I don't know, whatever. You know, that's it's the, um, but I. It's certainly a, if you're in the military, having a helmet is a perk. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I, that's what I'm saying. So yeah, that's uh, the, okay. I mean, we're we're spitballing here, maybe taking this a bit too long, but I think uh, 
uh, for everybody. It's it's interesting to see that tech trees are hard. Um, and I guess what comes out of the survey is that people would like one that has a e meaningful impact on their on their choices and that it's fine. I think that what the survey says is it's fine for the tree to sort of be highly, instead of giving you broad spectrum text that you can always get, people are completely fine with it uh, influencing your game style uh, because of the text you've chosen. Yeah. So uh, the next question is on... Um would you like to see, where would you like to see development efforts focused? Uh, so I guess this really is going to determine whether or not we're going to be focusing on tech three or whether or not rule sets is going to be the, the number one priority. What are the players telling you? What are they wanting things directed into? Yeah, so I think I got the point across by having rule sets listed here again, that it's going to take work. And so it's actually not super popular on here. 27% of the responses. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe that's not an immediate concern. So the most popular thing on here is around 60%, and that's adding more team play, uh, which was also a popular reason to use blobs, according to the player base, right? So I really like the idea of adding more and more you know, opportunities to play as a team. Um, but there's a caveat there, and I will pick on JC a little bit. I know he's very vocal about his opinions and doesn't care, but um, <laughs> in the free response at the end, uh, he cautioned against adding, like, winning wars and different mechanics like that that are more or less come straight from utopia and that you know if somebody wants to play utopia they can just go play utopia we don't have to turn dominion into utopia we should try to stick to like the the classic you know, like what dominion really is buzz and classic and the nostalgia which is why the vast majority of people play this game and so if you don't know Utopia is like the godfather of this type of game, like the text-based strategy. It has been and probably always will be the most popular game of this type, and it still exists now. But, but they are the the whole game there is really based on the realm. You like the the realm wins or loses the round. There's not. I don't think they really have the concept of like the an individual winner and your the realms are really big and they have to work together and uh you know the there's this other concept of like your net worth in that game has to do with a lot of with like your land size so you could be you could have like an extremely high net worth per acre and so like there's there's like individual like power struggles going on at different land sizes so like the the really big people are fighting each other the really little people are fighting each other and it's all it's all really interesting, but I think some of what that game suffers from is like a lack of individual player agency. So like you can log on to Utopia one day and like you're dead and there's nothing you could do about it, kind of thing. And there's also the idea that like if you don't have your whole realm backing you and helping you, that 
you kind of can't really do anything solo. Like a random player, like what a lot of what Dominion is, especially judging by like the responses here, right? We don't even have half the people in the current round filling out the survey because they're just kind of doing their own thing and we don't want to make the game miserable for people who just want to do their own thing. So I think uh, a rare moment for me, but I actually completely agree with JC on, on his opinions there. Um, I think a lot of what makes Dominion unique is the system we have now that does give players the agency that they enjoy. And things like things like friendly spells, for example, is something that never existed in Classic. You know, it would be a completely new system. Uh, the concept of winning a war feels like it could be quite miserable for, you know, one half of every war that happens in the game. Uh, I quite like the fact that, that when a war ends now, there's there's arguments to be made on both sides about who did what. It's a bit dubious to the rest of the player base as to what might have actually happened, who really did win. I quite like that sort of, I don't want to call it a fog of war, but it's maybe a, a sort of shroud over the the actual happenings in those wars that you know isn't isn't clear cut uh, and, and to be honest who really wins the war anyway there's losers on both sides isn't there um I, I quite like the idea that as we develop dominion or open dominion we're still basing it on what was traditional in the original game and just adding to that rather than completely inventing new systems and transforming the way the game works yeah and yeah, so I, I I think these are also very good points. I agree as a newer player, indeed. Uh, one of the things you know from, let's say, large team-based or guild-based or whatever you, uh, games like World of Warcraft or EVE, or is indeed that you sort of... Um, it's also if you look at like the big, big realms or whatever, because you're almost forced to work with each other, so there's no way to make any impact because the way team play is implemented, indeed you have no agency. And I think those are very good points, is that taking care with team play so that it still feels as a an individual dominion, you can have serious impact and do your own thing, but at the same time that if you do work together or choose to work together, there's some interesting dynamics that you can have. And that's, an, that's a good point. I haven't I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think it's um, because otherwise you're going to be in a situation where you have to, if there, there's a, a a realm that does do good teamwork and they therefore will always win, you're basically forcing everybody else to have the same team play style, and that yeah that would be forcing everybody to go into that full team play mode. Huh? Yeah, good point. So so yeah. bears bears thinking about. When I think about just moving on, to, when I think about like uh, friendly spells as a concept, like trying to actually imagine what that would look like, um, there's there's maybe two options that come to mind. There's spells that would buff your teammates, give them passive bonuses. Like for example, maybe there's a form of Midas Touch that you can cast on a realm mate, and it would increase their platinum generation. I kind of hate that idea because it's one of those spells that you have to always be on as many of the competitive players as you want and then you just become you just become uh, uh, one half of a symbiotic relationship um, you know the the instead of the ops bitch you've got the friendly spells bitch yeah you know? you're, you're the buff bitch yeah 
yeah, it's it's not interesting to play the game like that. Oh, I've logged in now. I have to cast spells on four realm mates that I'm casting every eight hours anyway. You know, uh, but spells that could be deployed strategically in wars. You know, maybe you cast a spell that will guarantee a reflected spell. I've seen that as a suggestion. Um, the first time it's cast on this guy, you know, you know, just a temporary energy mirror. That could be quite cool. Um, stuff that maybe shorten, like we've got anti-magic sacred sigils as a tech. At the moment, you could repurpose that as a friendly spell and reduce the, the duration block of somebody to sort of ease their pain a little bit. Little things like that, I'm okay with because they're situational. But if we ever end up in a situation where we're having to cast spells all of the time just for one player's benefit, I really don't like that idea. I want one thing. I want the fact that when you throw a fireball, it takes four hours to reach its target so that there is a spell possibility to play fireball tennis. That's what I want. <laughs> That's a slow serve right there, man. Yes. So I can catch... <laughs> What's the miles per hour on that so, fireball? <laughs> so fireballs fireballs gets thrown at a, at a Dominion and then I, I see them coming into my, uh, to my realm mate. I, I take out my racket and I start I start punching those fireballs back at the at the at the other realm. Yeah. And then we see how, how long we can keep it up and sort of it's it's sort of like a hot potato thing, like who drops it last and then you get the fireballs in your face. I mean, yeah. That's the only that's the only request uh, I have. <laughs> I I actually I am in favor of the giant fireball suggestion. So if we're getting rid of energy mirror, if it's not going to do the same thing anymore as in reflecting spells, if instead it's just going to absorb some of the damage and, you know, reduce the pain for the person casting it, can we just have one massive fireball that uses up all of our mana that we lob at one person? Yeah, maybe that sounds interesting, especially if it takes an hour to arrive and you can, like, do something about it. (laughs) Cast your reflect. No, I don't know. I yeah, I like the I really like the idea thing. of spell reflect. I don't want to see that go away completely. We have to reuse it somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's a friendly spell. Who knows? So you won't be relying That's on, on RNG anymore. So you could actually this would be an active thing. Yeah. And of course, then the sleeping thing comes in because of course, if you if you cast it when somebody else is sleeping, but yeah. Well, if we're taking if we're taking RNG out of the game, then. Uh, Spells will no longer fail at all, will they? Yeah, exactly. So the RNG is basically uh, is the opposing realm able to uh, you know take their tennis rackets out and reflect it on you. Well, we'll we'll have to wait till Fat sets up the Fireball Tennis Subcommittee for, for the results. <laughs> on that one. Oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else about to talk about in this section, Fat? Oh yeah, plenty. Uh, I mean, even just on this response, like. All, all that was to say that we have to tread lightly for adding team play elements. Um, but I think there's a lot of room. Uh, another idea that I had was creating like a, a bounty system for ops. So like attackers can click on a guy that they want to get ops on or whatever, like this, maybe the specific things they want to see. And there's like a, you know, bounty board in the game and you're, ops players can go and get the ops for you um and they get a reward like maybe xp or you know bouncing idea off somebody that maybe they could get tech point a little bit of tech points off of it but like just something that uh, helped the interaction between attackers and explorers 
Well, that's actually and having the ops idea. request system in the game takes a lot of stress off, like having to copy and paste everything in the Discord and whatnot. Uh, but well, yeah, the next I... most uh, popular response on this question was the hero system at forty-five percent. So um, we have a lot of ideas for hero stuff. Uh, I I kind of want to see like perks that you get. Uh, I'm thinking like. Um, the, the Blizzard game, Heroes of the Storm, if you've ever played that. Like, every couple of levels, you get to pick, like, an actual ability. It's, like, not just your stats go up, but you also get, like, a perk. And it, it doesn't have to be anything super impactful. It can be really niche things. Like, people talked about they want to take some of the useless kind of techs out of the tech tree. And uh, maybe some of that really specific stuff can go into the hero systems like every every even level you get to pick from two things or something like that that are pretty low impact there's a spreadsheet somewhere that that's full of ideas for those things uh, well, make sure you add the uh, helmets for heroes to that yeah i think helmets are in there uh one of them's like a spyglass or something so if you have a spyglass equipped uh your land spies only cost one percent strength instead of two you know it's like really small but like flavorful and then we could have a yeah. hero page where you have all your equipment and your abilities that are like the, the the game icons that we use for everything else and we use for the Discord icons. You know, we could pull all kinds of stuff out of there because there's like thousands of those. And you can have a little page with your hero and all geared up and, and see all his stats. I think that'd be interesting. And Rush, you mentioned some of that cosmetic type stuff uh, in the last episode. Yeah, that'd be cool to see. Uh, it would also be cool to see the uh, all the additional names that I spent an evening writing coming into the game at some point because I really don't think they're there yet. Yeah. For, yeah. for they're, me, the... talking about their, you know, you know, for the hero random generated name thing. Oh yeah. Um, yeah when you start, it, it draws from a pool of names, um, and there's there's definitely a lot more names available. I just don't think the system's using them yet. Is that right, Fett, or am I wrong there? I don't know, actually. I, I think I only populated that file once. So if you added more yeah. to it later, yeah, there's probably stuff that's missing. Yeah. Right. Put, that, put that to the top of your priority list for development, please. All right, sure. <laughs> I, know there, I know there are some Easter egg names in there. I've seen them. There yeah. is. There is. Uh, I'm a bit annoyed that I got caught on that because <laughs> sneaking in some uh, some player names into them, just naming them creatively. But uh, apparently that got picked up. Yeah, cool. But <laughs> yeah, uh, what was also on there, like even tech tree, revamping the tech tree is above rule set. So. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I mean, this definitely helps with priorities. And then I made a huge mistake of not putting like new player experience type something on this question and that's what a lot of the write-ins are is like making the game more accessible to new players so we'll just say that the, the automated actions covers that but there's a lot more to it as well like some kind of we've always talked about some kind of like in-game tutorial or people are now talking about like a sandbox mode and there's a lot of different ideas but they're difficult to implement for sure yeah i think for me based on my own experience it was 
not so much the guardrails because a game like this it's actually fun to sort of make mistakes but that you never really had uh, a clue what you were doing because you didn't have an insight in what the implications were so there's sort of no projecting forward and saying oh if you do this the implication is that your income goes up or you know so that would that was hard to assess and so for me that would be sort of insights in those things what what you know how, how does this impact does it does it tweak uh, does it you know impact um um yeah some of the bonuses you know the fact that you're um should the one with the keep let me just look at what one one of the improvements so yeah something like keep and the fact that your max population goes up and then knowing that okay max population goes up so therefore you get more platinum per hour and sort of that's stuff that you have to get used to and uh knowing sort of the implications that would would be it for me if i would look to that and uh, and also maybe a bit on the, the hero system i didn't vote for expanding the hero system because i had no idea what it would be so i could uh, others and maybe that's also something that factors in um I didn't vote for hero system because I simply had no clue what that would mean. And the others like team play elements, I could, I had, a, I have a, an idea. Oh yeah, that's what it means. So that could also be a reason why maybe hero system in this sense, I think maybe it's more popular even because maybe, um, uh, <laughs> people who voted for it had an idea what it would entail. Sure, yeah. I, I thought about writing like a bunch more information into the survey to kind of explain things like we're doing now, but like, yeah, yeah who's going to read all this? Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's not, but it, yeah. at least it's, um, it's a bit of a tweak, but I think if you look at the survey, it's definitely, if we look at the top three, it's team play elements, it's hero system and revamping tech tree, right? Those are the, those are the big ones. Okay. Um, so obviously apart from, um, final question here being any other feedback or suggestions obviously you know some people were saying give us automated actions you've already done that christmas has come early for those people uh, were there anything else was was there anything else that um that uh, people had suggested that you thought was interesting yeah for sure um let me go through some of the freeform um there were a few responses where people said um we should just change things up more um you know kind of like rule sets or some people even a couple of people i think said who cares so much about balance like if something's overpowered for a round or two who cares like just be a little bit more bold with changes and you know, I I agree with that to some extent, but uh, 47 days is a long time, and people definitely hate it when they invest a bunch of time and energy into a round, and then they get a feeling like it was all wasted just because they happened to pick the wrong race. So if you're okay with something like maybe being broken, I think that can piss a lot of people off. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we we discussed that two pods ago, um, where I made the same remark about board games, where it's you know there are unbalanced board games that have you know, a round length of of like five minutes, you know, a game like uh, yeah. So, so you know, and those it's it's there's stuff that's completely broken in the game, but it's fine because you know you reset and you you go again. 
and so that's completely fine. But indeed, the, the long board games where you're playing for the whole night, yeah, unbalances there is really sucks because you're basically just staring at somebody else having fun. So yeah, that that is exactly the point. Like, un- the longer the game goes, the more balance matters. Yeah, and um, a few people just said, you know, focus on growing the player base. It's always on our mind, but it's always been difficult to actually like rally around like a specific thing to do. Did they have any specific suggestions there, or is it just grow? No, of course not. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, there might be some you have to look through, but uh, the the two I'm seeing like scrolling through here didn't. Because okay. um, we then... do, do there are there are players that are you know they they take it on themselves to go and advertise the game and different communities i know it's been posted to facebook it's been posted to subreddits there's even been some marketing campaigns run at some point so but it is it's very much uh, if you want the game to grow start telling people about it you know go and go and do these things make posts um there's only so much that the sort of dedicated committees can do on their own with their own schedules yeah yeah and i'm all for that kind of stuff um we talked about like putting some actual money into marketing, um, but my response has always been like the the new player experience in the game needs to be better so that we're not just throwing money away, like because mm-hmm. you have to like capture the lead, right? Like you have to convert. Yeah, people have to actually stick around. So getting a thousand people to hit our homepage is not going to help if none of them stay. So. I'm, we're still looking for like that silver bullet for like some kind of tutorial or whatever, something in the game that's going to help drive engagement to, to the new players. But at the same time, like we've waited around for years for that. So maybe that's not going to happen and we should change our strategy. Maybe we should point people straight into the discord or something like that and try to, you know, grow player base that way i i'm very much of that opinion i i think a game like this um it's you know it's going to be by definition and by by everything it is it is a niche game so you'll have a niche group for me retention would be much more important because you know once you've what happens once you when somebody steps into the game you know will they leave will they leave out of frustration things like that i totally agree new player experience is crucial because if you're bringing in a lot of people then you have to be able to handle it and i think now basically the existing player base is the tutorial and having a good ratio of experienced people to inexperienced people so that the inexperienced person really feels helped and feels, you know, that you, you feel like, a, you know, it's, it's a warm welcome. Definitely, I had that. You don't, you should not grow too fast, right? It, it needs, you need sort of the existing players to have time to, uh, to really uh, nurture and grow the, 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 new, the new players and build up a relationship with them. And so for me, it would be, I think everything we've been discussing now, like how do you make the existing game an amazing experience. How do you build on your own strength so that people playing it are so enjoying it that they start just out of their own enthusiasm saying, look, this is so amazing, so fun. Um, that word of mouth, I think, is the only, I think, true thing you can do. And then just gradually grow, right? For me, I've also been part of like a niche communities or you know, just tech community I was part of. I never really minded 
that for a while we were maybe only like five people or 10 people. I just made sure that if I did a community evening, everybody was so enthusiastic about uh, being there and I never worried about how many people were there. I just wanted to make sure that every single one of those people said, this was such such an amazing experience. I had so much fun. And then just by word of mouth, uh, you you get this this hockey stick uh, effect, right? It's just all of a sudden, well, it goes and then people start uh, going for it. So I'd say... In my opinion, everything we're doing right now and everything uh, FET you're doing currently with the with the survey of making the game a better game and a better experience, I think that's exactly what's needed. And everything else will come automatically. And there's a, there's a lot more in here. And these uh, survey results will go out to everybody in one of the public channels with the, the names redacted or whatever um, at some point. I'll give it some time to let more stuff roll in. But uh, the only other thing that really stood out to me immediately from that last question is uh, several people mentioned like having a little bit more transparency into what the GPC is doing, what changes are coming or why changes are happening. And I think that's a good point. Obviously, we kind of got away from the electing GPC members and having them do everything in the public channel. And the reason is because of uh, just the willingness to participate. Like that was a really tough job. You have a bunch of people demanding responses and answers all the time. And basically nobody wanted, eventually nobody wanted to even be on the GPC. So the idea of having like these little committees where it's, it's just people who are engaged and interested with the particular topic. I think it's great and it's been working pretty well. And, you know, it's not ideal to do it in a private channel, but it helps relieve like the distraction. Like when people are filling up the feedback channel, like asking questions or like picking apart your ideas before they're even like fully formed. It's just like a really big distraction and part of why the GPC wasn't enjoying doing the job. Um, But we could certainly do a much better job at like reporting on our findings, right? Like after an idea is fully fleshed out to put it into the public channel yeah. You know, for some more scrutiny and to just keep people informed of like what's coming next. And uh, I just don't really have the time to do that part. And, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of the people who are on these subcommittees feel the same way. So, you know, uh, it's just something we kind of all have to pitch in a little bit for it, I think, or, you know, short of having like a community manager type person it's just a, a team effort that we'll have yeah. to incrementally improve on well you for a very small game a niche game i mean the fact that there's two podcasts i mean i would say um uh, have the gpc subcommittees uh, come on uh, either real talk or a rush hour every once in a while because i think just having the opportunity for people to you know just in a discussion and a conversation that everybody can listen in on because I think the subtleties that you want to talk about and have a discussion I've always really enjoyed for instance in real talk sort of the nuances and the way people think about strategy have taught me a lot and I think um, you know I guess I'm 
I hope I'm also speaking for Russia, but I assume so, that we'll be happy to have GPC committees on with us and just discuss uh, these things just like we are doing with you now. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure Murph and Rio would be, would be happy to do the same thing. I think um, one of the things I did like in a former iteration of the GPC was, uh, I think it was Mariz that did it. Um, he started, he only did it once or twice and then he wasn't on the GPC anymore, but he, he put together surveys like the ones that you've done for the community here that, that just tried to formalize collecting some of the suggestions because not every GPC member has the time or inclination to read everything that goes on in the GPC feedback, sorry, the GP feedback channel. Um, and having some sort of centralized survey where, you know, say once around towards the end, you say, all right, we're gathering suggestions for the next round, put them into your survey here and if we think they're decent we'll discuss them we don't need to see that discussion i'm actually not that bothered uh, about seeing the back and forth i think as long as we get some sort of output that gives people an idea of what sort of things they're talking about that's fine um, and maybe just a formalized way of collecting uh, feedback is a way to go about getting them to discuss the things that the players want them to discuss yeah but would that be an idea that we just um, get uh, the committees uh, on the pod every once in a while? Yeah, I mean, that's cool. Uh, obviously, you guys are already aware of how difficult it is to schedule <laughs> the voice chats. But yeah, if you can make it work, even with a subset of people, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. And just generally, if anybody wants to help out with anything, being on a committee or just organizing information reading through channels and creating a, a document to keep track of stuff, any of that stuff, you know, feel free to just volunteer. Like there's no gatekeeping going on. I'm basically anybody who wants to help with anything is more than welcome and we'll support them however we can. Yeah. We're definitely taking volunteers on the tech committee. So <laughs> if you'd like to help me get some stuff over the line there, please volunteer. And that's, again, I think that's, using the podcasts for that allows a committee to sort of in the open space sort of have a discussion on you know these are the things we're doing and that might actually attract people to it like oh that's, those are interesting discussions i'd like to be part of it um but i'm really you know, this is also purely for my own thing i'm really curious what all those committees are doing i'd like them to tell me i'd like them to talk through things they've been thinking about and how these things go left and right i'd be i'd, I'd really actually be personally really interested so um i must maybe i'm just suggesting all this just for me so i would yeah i would i'd rather listen to that on the podcast than like trying to scrutinize every small thing that happens in the round like yeah. <laughs> there's not that much that goes on in the game that we can continue talking about like week after week after week it, it gets stale and uh, how many how many subcommittees are there because i know I, I know there's at least three that i'm aware of uh i don't know <laughs> not that many honestly we have we have a group talking about the fireball thing there's a group talking about um thanks we have a group talking about just the the real basic balance changes like you would think of like the traditional gpc like the plus and minus platinum on races kind of uh group 
and then I think most everything else is either shut down or on pause. Like there's a, there was a hero group that is basically waiting on the results of the tech implementation because it the hero bonuses they're just waiting to see like what gets deleted from tech so that they can gobble it up and reuse some of those bonuses basically but yeah that's it for the for the time being and so what's the next step for you for based off this survey what 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 are you going to do yeah i mean there's a lot of kind of sifting through this data, especially like the time zone question. We'll have to manipulate this uh, spreadsheet a little bit. But yeah, uh, just releasing it publicly where people can look at it and the committees can talk about just overall direction. Because I think it's really good to step back as often as possible and kind of rethink the big picture and why we're talking about changes. because the the specific implementation doesn't matter if you're wrong about like the the grand idea. All right. Uh, well, we've I think we've been quite thorough in going over the results there, and uh, thank you for taking the time to well take us through the results. Fit. It's been much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. Um, is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up, or are we are we pretty much done? Yeah, we're at one and a half hours almost, so I think we're good, right? Yeah. Well, I guess um, all that remains to be said is um, uh, that I really hope that in the near future you put together uh, a Fuck Forest Haven subcommittee so that AJ affects and I can join it. <laughs> Sounds good, yeah. No, there, there was talk in the past about changing Forest Haven to a, uh, a building that would like enable a theft strategy and if um, the automated actions are coming out theft is going to need kind of a rework anyway right if there's nobody stocking platinum all night yeah so there's an opportunity there oh sounds interesting watch this space all right uh thank you to Fet for for joining us this episode and uh agfx as always it's been a pleasure and uh, we will speak to you in the next one see ya Whoa.